0: This morning's Old Testament reading comes to us from the book of the prophet Amos in the 7th chapter, beginning at verse 7 and continuing through verse seven, uh, 13. Rather. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us From the Gospel according to Mark in the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 14 and continuing through verse 25. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, Bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet, he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Well, This is certainly one of the more uncomfortable accounts contained in the Gospel according to Mark. In fact, it's one of the more uncomfortable accounts in any of the Gospels. Here, Jesus has been publicly ministering throughout this region that is controlled by Herod. And he has just finished out sending his disciples two by two, on a mission to expand the reach of his message. They had been called, equipped, and now sent in pairs on what may have been one of their earliest and most ambitious expeditions. And apparently, his plan to get the word out was working pretty well because we read in this morning's New Testament text, word of this rabbi from Nazareth had reached even as far As Herod himself, and his word of his reputation had preceded him, Jesus posed a conundrum to the king. Who exactly is this Jesus? That was the question of the day. There were a number of theories put forth, some perhaps more credible than others, but the ones that are mentioned here all sound a bit far-fetched to our ears, yet That is testimony, I think, to just how far Jesus was already getting under Herod's skin. And, as we also read, it seems that this is not necessarily the path to a long, happy, carefree life. Jesus' kinsman, John the Baptist, had already trod that path. He had also preached a message in a rural region, far from the courts of the king, but eventually their paths would grow ever closer. And so it was that John felt compelled to offer his unfiltered appraisal of the king's behavior. He had the king, it seems, taken Herodias, the wife of another of Herod the Great's sons, as his own wife. He had divorced his wife, which led to her father in law, well, to her father, his father in law, who was the king of the Nabataeans, to wage war against Herod. And she had, Herodias, had divorced her husband, the stepbrother of her now husband. You got all that? Yeah, it's pretty confusing. Adultery, however, was adultery. As far as John was concerned, doesn't matter who you are, nobody is above the law, not even the one who issues the laws and decrees of the land. For this was an affront to the law of God and John couldn't care less who you were or, in a sense, maybe he did care. Maybe part of the reason that he was so outspoken about the whole affair was because John felt that the political leaders of a people had a responsibility to set an example for their subjects. What a concept. Whatever the case, it was this sort of pugnacity that proved to fascinate Herod. Yes, it bothered him at some level, yet at the same time, he found John to be more than simply a nuisance to be swatted away. There was something about the baptizer that fascinated or perhaps at least amused the king. It was enough so that Herod had spared the life of the man who had so publicly called him out and dressed him down. But while the king saw something in the prophet that was consequential enough to keep him from the gallows, the woman with whom he had the relationship which drew the ire of John was of a different mind. Whatever Herod saw in the locust and honey-eating camel's hair shirt-wearing character from the Jordan, well, the queen just didn't see it, or she just didn't care. Either way, if she had her wish, this yappy little dog would be silenced forever. Fortunately for John, the decision did not rest with Herodias until it did. Well, actually, with the other Herodias, the younger, who is also sometimes referred to as Salome. We don't know how old she was when she was brought in to entertain the king, but that's inconsequential. We do know that he was pleased with his stepdaughter's performance. So much so that Herod was moved to promise her almost anything as a token of his appreciation for her talents. That was the opening that her mother had been looking for and she used it to leverage the swift dispatch of John. But then, it seems, he's come back now for an encore At least that's the explanation the author of this gospel says Herod himself settled on. Despite his best efforts, and those of his family too, the king just can't rid himself of the baptizer that easily. In this new disturber of governments, as our own McKinney was famously labeled by the colonial governor of New York and New Jersey, Herod is confronted with a continuation of an uncontrolled prophetic voice in the realm. And make no mistake, control is what lies at the heart of the matter in the story. After all, this is the king we're talking about here. If anyone has a case to make for power, it would be him. Herod had to be a shrewd fella to have gotten where he was in life, and now he finds himself a regent in the Roman Empire permitted to exercise a degree of control over his people in this region of the province. When Mel Brooks played an 18th century French monarch in his History of the World movie, the character's most famous line was, it's good to be the king. He may have well borrowed this phrase from Herod himself. He was in a position that was both privileged, envied, and at the same time, tenuous. But in fact, the truth was, Herod wasn't even king. This Herod was named Antipas, and he was the son of that great king, Herod, who was far more famous and who had ruled a much more substantial territory in his day. Now, Antipas had come to power rather unexpectedly. His father had preferred his sons from another mother. He had multiple wives, but before these other sons could ascend to the throne, they had either been murdered or convicted of attempting to kill their own father. So he had to change his plans. And so it was that he set up a power-sharing arrangement that divided his territory and placed other sons in charge of each bit. Antipas was willed the regions of Galilee and nearby Perea, and his title was Tetrarch. He ruled under this arrangement for 42 years, so we can be sure he was shrewd about holding these reins of power One of the keys to doing so was to exercise control. In many ways, it seems that the lessons and the tactics learned and employed by secular rulers 2,000 years ago have not gone out of style even in our own day and time. Just witness what is taking place to the voices of dissent in Belarus or in Myanmar or in Hong Kong or any of a number of other places in our world today. These are the same tactics and techniques that the enemy has used for just as long to silence the voices of those who would critique the power of the devil and the powers and the principalities that he has enlisted to further his cause. And here comes Jesus. Like John before him, he's going to tell it like it is in both cases, This is part and parcel of why these two had come, to speak truth, sometimes inconvenient, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes disquieting, sometimes even a bit threatening. When the powerful heard enough of this counter-narrative, they took steps to silence these voices of truth. John was beheaded, and yet in the words of Jesus, Herod Antipas heard the same truths continue to be espoused with authority, and he couldn't help but think that it was the very same voice that continued to speak. He would call it John reincarnated, or the ghost of John, but the truth was that it was the voice of God which continued to speak and to convict the ruler of the ways In which he transgressed against the holy law. The truth was dangerous to a man like this and equally so to his wife. No one likes to hear such things. We don't want to be reminded of our trespasses, whether it's from our parents or our spouse or our teacher or our boss. We don't like having someone telling us what to do, pointing out our errors and compelling us to make them right. We certainly don't want a God who's going to get on our case all the time. The truth can be just as dangerous to us as it was to Herod Antipas and to his family. But a parent or a spouse or a teacher or even a good boss can bring out the best In others. So too can a Christian guide. It doesn't necessarily have to be a clergy person. After all, Jesus was not part of the religious establishment of his day. And after all, he had just sent out his disciples two by two to do this very thing. All it requires is someone who knows the truth of God and who is willing to speak it in love. Providentially, that was the whole theme of this morning's uh, Bible study that we had an hour ago. It was about Paul writing to the church in Rome and lifting them up and exhorting them to do this very same thing. And we were talking about this very thing two mornings ago at the men's Bible study and breakfast over across the river. How part of the Christian call, which is incumbent upon all believers, is to continue to speak the truth that has been revealed in and through Christ Jesus. It can be a dangerous message, for sure. It can be dangerous for those who continue to this day to unapologetically proclaim it. But... It can be even more dangerous to those who hear it and know deep down that this truth trumps all other truths they have been telling themselves and selling to others. It has been said, truth is to be loosed in the arena of life where falsehood seeks to hold sway. All the blatant attacks on her cannot render helpless the truth so much as do its friends who seek to shield it or shackle it by failing to proclaim it. In our lesson this morning, there was a note about rabbit hole Christianity, about those people who pop out of their holes each morning. They leave their homes and their families. They go to work. They come home to their homes and their families. They break open their Bibles. They pray. They go to church at night for a Bible study and they come home and they pray about all those sinners out there in the world who are lost and they have avoided all day long. Yes, my brothers and sisters in Christ, speaking the truth can be dangerous, but not speaking the truth. Well, that, that is far more dangerous indeed. So for all those who will, despite the danger, continue to speak the dangerous truth, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen. As we continue our worship this morning, may we do so by standing together and singing our hymn number 693. It is entitled, Though I May Speak.